Good evening, everybody. It's time to settle in and relax and let your mind go to a dreamy place, a place that has been a part of my imagination for a very long time, decades, actually. So with that, welcome to the sleepy rural town of Pilaf, Ohio, a place where the pace of life is like that of a lazy river, but where there's always something interesting going on. Well, the pandemic has largely left Pilaf alone. That's not to say that people are not sensitive to the state of affairs over the globe. Fully aware of everything, anytime George the mailman sneezed or coughed during his daily deliveries, anyone with an earshot stopped to look. Being cognizant of the extra eyes suddenly focused on him, uh, George would look around for those eyes and quickly send a reassuring message to anyone that his eyes, nose, and throat were being affected by the recent and simultaneously uptick in both tree and grass pollen. The only word he would have to broadcast to anyone was a simple but effective allergies. Because April and May were two months that never showed any signs of a temperature variation revival, the tree pollen did not start to disperse its yellow dustings until June, when all of the grasses started doing the same. All across Pilaf and beyond, everything had been covered by a thick yellowish dust. Even the severe thunderstorms that came through last week were not enough to wash the yellow dust off of objects and out of the air. Danny Rice, the owner of Bailey's Country Store, has pretty much given up the fight. Every morning for weeks now, he was spending an hour cleaning off the chairs and benches on the porch, just in case some of his customers wanted a place to recline while eating lunch or sipping on tea or a latte. Even while Pilaf, unaffected by the illness showing up in various worldwide places, Danny did notice that the porch wasn't getting the kind of use that it would in a normal summer, on a nice day. 
But Danny couldn't stand the thought of having a customer come in for a visit and leaving with a bucket full of yellow pollen pushed into the seat of someone's clothing. That all started when his high school daughter, Jessie, spent time on the porch bench with some of her friends last week. She was wearing yellow print leggings. Danny could see that the pollen had left an unmistakable evidence that he had not taken care of his extra outdoor furniture cleaning duties that morning. Just in case you're wondering, Danny didn't have to let Jessie know. Her friends dutifully took care of that, and she was able to pat and whisk away the pollen before heading off for another adventure with her friends. George hasn't been the only one sneezing with the pollen count being so high. Miss Marcy stopped by Bailey's this morning. It's not unusual that she slips in unnoticed. She is usually as quiet as a mouse, suddenly appearing at the counter with a few goods to purchase when few, if anybody, even noticed she was shopping. Not today. Out of nowhere, a sudden, but somewhat dainty series of sneezes was broadcast from the baking goods aisle. When heads inside Bailey's turned, Miss Marcy's face turned, turned red, that is, and not from the sneezes. She gave her whereabouts away. Most people just passing through Pilaf wouldn't give much thought to anyone being in the baking aisle of any country store. That's where people go to get supplies when they want to cook or bake something. But what Danny Rice processed was something a little out of the ordinary. You see, Miss Marcy is famous for her delicious apple pie. Note that I said apple pie. One of the secrets of her delicious apple pies is one ingredient. Apples. Fresh, hand-picked apples. There are none anywhere in Ohio until August or September. Furthermore, the variety she uses, which remains a secret to this day, apparently isn't harvested until early October. Need I remind you that we are in the month of May, the only time Danny Rice has witnessed Miss Marcy in the baking aisle is in the autumn 
What could she be picking out in June? Surely, apple pie is not on her radar. Or is it? We won't know any time soon. Mrs. Crum, Pilaf's second grade teacher, came in and started meandering the aisles with a basket. Whenever Mrs. Crum walks in, time seems to stand still. The townsfolk would love to ask why she buys some of the eclectic things that she does. It seems like Danny Rice is the only one who isn't trying to guess. Whatever it is, everyone in Pilaf knows the rule. Whenever Mrs. Crum checks her items out with the cashier, the rule is this. We just don't ask. There was so much focus on Mrs. Crum and what she was putting in her basket that everyone forgot to pay attention to Miss Marcy's purchases. In fact, no one was exactly sure how Miss Marcy was able to pay for her goodies and leave without anyone really noticing. Miss Marcy's husband, Mr. Rayburn, hasn't been in Bailey's for a few weeks, so we may not know anytime soon what Miss Marcy is concocting in their kitchen, if anything. School has been on summer vacation for about a week now. One might not expect Pilaf to be the kind of place that is able to adapt to home studies. But Pilaf has a lot of great technical minds that assisted in Pilafians to engage in distance education. Both Neil Manasa and Jim Snell tackled the numerous issues that developed in that first stay-at-home week. Both Neil and Jim could be seen scrambling all over town at breakneck speed. But it seems as though their expertise was so well executed that they returned to their own jobs the following week. And the remainder of the school year was quietly finished without a single complaint from anyone, student, parent, or teacher. Adaptation. It's the Pilaf way. The weather Pilaf experienced in April and May helped. Both months marched on as if it was in suspended animation, as in the month of March. The winter 
overall produced a lean snowfall total. That might have led anyone to believe that warmth and bright sunshine would make April and May stunning. Instead, the cold winds were almost colder in April than March. Snowflakes filled the air and even dusted the ground from time to time. In fact, for the first time in Ohio history, the month of May saw not one, but two measurable snowfalls. The first one was on May 9th, and the second one was on May 11th. While most anticipated that the snowfall on May 11th would be the last one of the cold season, most didn't count on the cold winds to persist through the entire month. There was the positive effect it had on keeping students and teachers focused on getting used to the temporary remote learning environment. What student wants to focus on classroom instruction on a computer screen when the windows are wide open, the birds are singing, and backyard thermometers are luring people outside with the promise of producing a trickle of summer sweat on foreheads. So often, Pilafians boast about going from winter right into summer. In most cases, it's just one of those unsubstantiated sayings that have little merit, but it's fun to try to claim. Thanks to a strange weather pattern, Pilafians can say it and mean it this year. Imagine going from enough snow to sugarcoat the ground on May 11th to seeing two 90-degree days less than a month later. It's no wonder both tree and grass pollens have ganged up on everyone all at the same time. The recent wild swings in temperature usually means that popular radio meteorologist Stormy Windham gets busy with severe thunderstorm risks on the rise. According to Stormy, severe weather season in Ohio peaks in May and June. It was way too cold for severe weather in May, but all the ingredients came together a number of times since flipping the calendar over to the month of June. One particularly intense line of thunderstorms arrived on Friday night about a week ago. Stormy started warning everyone in Pilaf about how crazy the weather would be 
many days before. Stormy is not the kind of guy who starts warning people unless he is certain that a weather event will have a significant impact on the town. Danny Rice noticed a definitive mood shift several days before the storms were forecast to arrive. It's similar to what happens at Arthur Langlois' egg farm. When you make a strange noise anywhere near his chicken coop, the chickens, once loudly cackling at one another so loudly that you can hardly think, suddenly hush, as if trying to listen to what E.F. Hutton himself had to say. The hungry breakfast customers at Bailey's suddenly stopped conversing when they heard Stormy Wyndham's forecast on WPLF. By Wednesday morning, it seemed like everyone in Pilaf knew about the expected round of severe thunderstorms in a few days. So, the sudden quell of voices in Bailey's when it was time for Stormy's updated forecast shouldn't have surprised anyone. They all listened, and with great intent, some even leaning into the counter towards the speakers where WPLF were playing. Even Danny Rice stopped what he was doing. Everyone stopped and listened. Stormy's forecast is held, obviously, in very high regard. And so, when Stormy's forecast was done, the cackling resumed. It was business as usual again, inside Bailey's. But this time, some of the cackling that the customers were talking about was the forecast and the impending showers and severe thunderstorm risk. Officer Caputo came in to Bailey's just as the lunch hour was starting to wrap up. He noticed that so many of the cars that were parked in front of Bailey's were dusted over in yellow pollen, almost to the point where he couldn't tell the original color of the cars. He noticed that Uncle Ben was there, but Uncle Ben's car is not yellow. Uncle Ben's car is another color. But you couldn't tell the difference between black or maroon or teal or any other color for that matter. The only thing that mattered 
was all the pollen in the air, coating everything. Oh, driving around does have a little bit of an influence. Maybe the loosest of the pollen gets shaken off of the cars as they travel. And if the cars travel fast enough, near a highway, for instance, the pollen streams off and leaves a very thin, somewhat transparent film of dust hanging suspended in the air. And sometimes for several minutes, while that pollen has a chance to slowly settle as gravity does its thing and pulls it back down to the ground, waiting, waiting for severe thunderstorms to come and to wash the pollen off the pavement. Even Bonnie and Clyde no longer look like Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde are the resident crows that have periodically made life interesting for the people in Pilaf. You see, Bonnie and Clyde enjoy pulling pranks. They enjoy going through people's backyards, people's trash, and people's belongings on front porches and back porches and backyards. Anything that they can lift with their beaks and fly away with, they will do that and take it into the woods where they will examine it for the potential of a nest or the potential for food or any other purpose that birds enjoy. But they seem to most enjoy getting various objects from the town folks, from backyards in particular, things that are in use all the time, so that people wonder what happened to whatever it is they're looking for. So Bonnie and Clyde meander back and forth in the sky as they do so, collecting the yellow pollen from the air. They recently landed not too far from Bailey's. George, the mailman, saw them land a couple of houses away. And because it was along his mail route, he stopped and looked and pondered and wondered what they were up to now. So Bonnie and Clyde had something in their beaks, both of them, and it looked like the same thing. But that's not what George was looking at. 
he was looking at Bonnie and Clyde because it didn't look like them. It looked like they had had enough yellow pollen coating them so that they looked like giant yellow canaries with something in their beaks as big as a bowling ball. Although I'm sure it was not as heavy as a bowling ball. I've never seen a bird or an eagle or a vulture, for that matter, as strong and as big as they are fly around with a bowling ball as if they were going bowling at the Borger Lanes. Speaking of the Borger Lanes, the Summer Leagues got started a couple of weeks ago and the bowling alleys recently reopened again after being closed for almost three months. Bowling is very popular in both Borger and Pilaf. The people of Pilaf, though, have to drive down to Borger to join a league. The Borger house is rather quaint. It only has 16 lanes, as opposed to a lot of the big cities that have lanes stretching for what seem like hundreds of feet. There's one particular bowling alley in the city that has 72 lanes. There are some people that go there not to bowl, but to walk and to get exercise. Because to walk from lane one all the way down to lane 72 and back registers about two-tenths of a mile. So if you went back and forth five times, watching the bowlers, being entertained by the conversation, you would have walked an entire mile. But the border lanes are very, very small. Yet there are enough lanes to allow the people of Borger and Pilaf and the surrounding area to form leagues through various parts of the day and various parts of the week. This brings me to the story of Jahan Biskarfenelowitz. Jahan was the kind of bowler that enjoyed watching all of the professionals on the various networks very early in the 1960s and 1970s through the 1980s. 
it was ABC that carried the Pro Bowlers Tour every Saturday afternoon. And with great excitement, Johan Biscarfanelowitz would sit down with a Mountain Dew and sip on it as he watched the Stepladder series to the final match, always on the edge of his seat. He would examine all of the professional bowlers' form, trying to imitate them and trying to get better. Jahan was in several bowling leagues during the week, and his average was pretty good. Most of the time, his average was somewhere between 145 and 175, and with reasonable regularity. He would roll something close to a 200 game. However, the 300 game was always elusive. Just outside of his reach, in fact, as long as Jahan Biscarfanelowitz was the king of the 7-10 split, he would never see that 300 game come to fruition. When I say that he was the king of the 7-10 split, for those familiar with bowling, it wasn't the fact that he would always pick up the 7-10 split, but rather leave the 7-10 split. It was not unusual that Johan would have two, even three, 7-10 splits left in just one game. Every time they came, the ball would head into the pocket, but his pin action just wasn't falling in his favor. Pun intended, the 7-10 split again. That is, until this year, when the Borger Lanes opened back up for business after being closed for so long. The Lanes really had quite a bit of pollen that had been attracted to the oil on the lane. This meant that the lane action was different, and that different made all the difference for Jahan Biscarfinelowitz. You see, it was just enough extra friction on the lane that pulled his ball finally into the pocket such that strikes came easy. Now the leagues had not yet returned, but Jahan was at the Borger Lanes, 
practicing. And then last week, something happened. That friction was just enough so that Jahan started one of his games with six strikes in a row, a six-bagger. Not many people were there to witness it, but it didn't matter. Jahan was energized, and he threw another, frame seven. It was a strike. He threw another, frame eight. It was a strike. Nine, another strike. He got to the tenth frame. All he needed was three more strikes to finally land that perfect game. Would it come, though? Jahan began to sweat and get nervous. Anyone would. But he picked up his ball and tried not to think about what was happening. He just did what he had done for the last nine frames. The first ball went down the lane. His fingers slipped a little, and it went wide right. However, it had just hit the head pin enough to allow a Brooklyn strike. Number 10, two left. He stopped for a moment, grabbed his Mountain Dew, and enjoyed another sip. All the while, a couple of other bowlers noticed that he had ten strikes in a row. Pretty soon, word spread, and those that were bowling stopped. Perhaps, perhaps they would be privy to seeing the first perfect game that the Borger Lanes had seen in five or six years. Yahan, noticing that everyone had congregated around him, decided to use that extra energy, and he rolled his next ball. It was a perfect strike. The place erupted in cheers. You would have thought that the place was loaded with people watching when it was just a dozen or so making all that noise. The moment of truth had come. Johan picked up the bowling ball, the one he had been using for years and years. He methodically wiped that ball down just like he had done 
for years and years before every single shot. Yes, he was nervous, but he tried not to think all that much about the next shot. All he wanted to do was to replicate the 11 previous frames. Could he do it? Everyone was silent. He stared at what seemed like minutes, at the 10 pins down the lane, and finally he stepped up to the approach placed his fingertips in his fingertip ball and took a deep breath and exhaled deeply. Now he was focused. He was going to do this. He began his approach. And as he did, the ball swung back just when a fly went right past his nose. Fortunately, as he swung forward, he hung onto the ball and his foot nearly hitting the foul line in the process. But it didn't. And he was thankful. He returned to the back of the approach to collect his thoughts again. Could he do it? He looked at the rack of ten pins one more time and took his stance at the approach line. This time he was going to make the shot. And he took his approach, the ball swung up, and he released it perfectly. He was wonderfully satisfied when he released the ball. He was smiling, and his teeth gleamed, and everyone held their breath as the ball began to curl back into the 1-3 pockets. But then, all of a sudden, the ball grabbed onto some of that pollen and pulled a little too far to the left and hit the one pin dead center. You guessed it, the 7-10 split. The whole place moaned and he looked at the wobbling seven and ten pin for what seemed like an eternity. Then suddenly, the seven pin fell over. The ten pin was still wobbling. Would it go down? It was wobbling. It wobbled some more. It spun in place. Then the rack machine came down and picked up the ten pin. The lane was swept 
and the rack placed the ten pin back. Naturally, there was absolutely no reason to shoot at that ten pin because the game was over. Jahan Biskarfanelowitz had rolled his best game ever. But it wasn't a perfect game. He had just rolled a 299. And while he was happy with rolling his highest game ever, he also couldn't help thinking about how close he was to rolling a perfect 300 game. Despite the 299 game, everyone at the Borger Lanes came up and congratulated Jahan because most of them had never rolled anything beyond a 200 game, let alone a 299. And all of them were witnesses to it. And it was all thanks to the pollen on the lanes. It was the pollen that helped him to get 11 strikes in a row. The last time a 300 game was rolled here was more than six years ago. And it was Jeff Rector that did that. Jeff, a very good bowler, whom everyone knew, had rolled a 300 game, not once, but four times since he started his bowling adventure. Jeff no longer bowls here. He actually moved to Indianapolis and for a little while became a semi-professional bowler. Jahan then tried to get the attention of the lanes manager. The lanes manager was Paul Gendron. And he asked Paul if next year he would do him the favor of leaving one lane unoiled during the pollen season because it was probably the only way Jahan would ever come close to rolling a perfect game again. Paul winked and said, I think we can help you out next year. Remind me, he said, that pollen season is coming and I'll leave lane one unpolished and unoiled. And hopefully you can get that 300 game next year without the 7-10 split. So we'll have to wait now until 2021. And we'll have to wait 
to see if the pollen season will be doubling up so that the grass pollens and the tree pollens will release at the same time. Because without that, there might not be enough friction on lane one to replicate what happened on this very day in peel-off history. Word spread very quickly across the entire town. In fact, it was the chatter of Bailey's Country Store the very next day. Not only that, but Gary Bittner on WPLF was mentioning the feat of Yahan Biscarfinelowitz rolling a 299. It had been some time since Yahan actually made an appearance at Bailey's, but he did the following day to the congratulations of many. He sat down at the counter and ordered a sandwich. It was lunchtime. And when he sat down, he didn't notice that the one stool, which has been uncleaned and undusted for roughly the same period of time that the pollen was in the air, he sat down on that chair, enjoyed his sandwich, and when he got up and walked out the door, everyone stared and giggled, but didn't want to tell Johann Biscarfinelowitz that his bucket was as yellow as the middle of a daisy. And so, there he went, walking out the door, yellow bucket and all. Maybe next year. Maybe. Maybe next year.